0: the reason i wanted to do this was you know like we did the morning show uh at college radio every was it monday morning
1: um yeah,
0: 7, yeah 8, it was the start of our week seven and nine
1: i want to say or something like i don't that. know I, I
0: something like that um, and, and, and it was like the framing yeah. of those conversations just by pressing record totally made the what we were talking about so much more significant and i think made us think more critically about it uh, and it was also a great start to our day, which is still my start of my day, but your evening. Um, and that's kind of mm-hmm. why, yeah, I wanted to try to do this again, because it seemed, well, it seemed fun. Uh, and it seemed like a good way to to review and, and publicly therapize and to uh, participate in, in constructive conversations, you know?
1: Sure. I mean, you know, I don't think we can discount the kind of emotional um impact of that either like when I think about uh in many ways it was the sort of conduit for me to meet you and to learn more about you was this uh seemingly kind of curated fun little kind of morning show as you know type show mm-hmm. but also to kind of like you know learn about I don't know your your life and your work and your values and like what interested you and what like you know what were your pet peeves and yeah uh, and and also kind of your 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 art form and your in your in your and your, your um your your work style. I think you know I think there was to a degree it was a way of coming up with bits. Um, yeah, yeah. At least if not you know if not during the show itself, then during the breaks, right?
0: Yes. Um, yeah. Off stuff, uh, <laughs> yes. stuff. yeah yeah it really puts yeah. like a conversation on rails in a good way and it like directs yeah. it and focuses you uh and same thing for like all of our co-hosts guests wh- whatever you would call yeah. them i know we had a couple sure. long running like uh Woochie and uh, uh wuchi
1: <laughs> oh wuchi he's still, he's still around man he's yeah. um He's, he's trying to, like, live that, I don't know, ironic, like, life. I don't know. I can't uh, figure it's... it out.
0: Is he a doomer? Is that what they call him? What the fuck's a doomer? A doomer is somebody who is generally younger, I'd say, between 20 and 30, and, okay. you know, has a fatalist outlook on life. Like, I see. Just, like, completely or...
1: nihilistic.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And... Yeah, and th- that's about all I know about that culture. I associate it with like smoking and memery online. And yeah, I, I think he's, I think you could file him under a boomer. But nobody likes to be filed under a category.
1: No, no. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it, uh, I-, I think that
0: it'd be just as exhausting
1: as being an actual boomer, right? Is this, mm-hmm. uh, all of this, uh, emotional and creative energy poured into, I don't know, uh, a sort of chuckle to yourself. I mean, guys from Butler County, man, like, I feel like you start you start from a place of um, historical, economic, lack of investment. You're just, gonna, uh, you're just gonna you're just gonna feel shitty all the time. I don't know. Or you're just gonna constantly feel like there's no way out, um, unless you do find a way out. Um, yeah. I don't think Pittsburgh's a way out but everywhere is also kind of shitty too. So, um, and uh, it's understandable that like the world is shitty, the earth is Mm -hmm. burning and, you know, uh, billionaires are, exist.
0: And uh, it feels like the idea of finding a way out used to be, you know, realistic and tangible. I mean, that was part of the American dream. I think the American dream is Mm -hmm. a bigger cultural thing, but finding a way out when you're a young person was like the goal of maybe college. And I think especially with the economic changes around the costs of college, uh, yeah, finding a way out doesn't seem possible. And like you said, the world seems like, the entirety of the world seems shitty and therefore you can't escape the world. And so finding a way out doesn't seem as possible anymore, you know, and that's where yeah. the Doomer ideology comes from. Yeah. Yeah. It's
1: almost it's almost a way of, of coping, of acting out of, you know, it's a it's a mechanism to kind of navigate like the, the hopelessness of the world, um, which I guess they're, they're healthier, but also totally unhealthier ways of going about it. So, I mean, it's not hurting anybody. It's just um, it's just kind of lame. But yeah, the world you know, the world's kinda lame, so fuck it. Yeah. Um <laughs> but, but everywhere yeah. is also kinda shitty too. So um and uh it's understandable that like the world is shitty. The earth is mm-hmm. burning and you know and billionaires are exist
0: and uh yeah. It feels like the idea of finding a way out used to be, you know, realistic and tangible. I mean, that was part of the American dream. I think the American dream is Mm -hmm. a bigger cultural thing, but finding a way out when you're a young person was like the goal of maybe college. And I think especially with the economic changes around the costs of college, uh, yeah, finding a way out doesn't seem possible. And like you said, the world seems like the entirety of the world seems shitty, and therefore you can't escape the world, and so finding a way out doesn't seem as possible anymore. You know, and that's where yeah. the doomer ideology comes from. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's almost it's almost a way of, of coping, of acting out, of you know, it's a it's a mechanism to kind of navigate like the the hopelessness of the world, um, which I guess they're, they're healthier, but also totally unhealthier ways of going about it. So I mean it's not hurting anybody. It's just um it's just kinda lame. But yeah. like, the world you know, the world's kinda lame. So fuck it. Yeah. Um <laughs> <laughs> But what was it? Uh, somebody's just sending me uh on uh text message. so the thing I went to last night, man, was this um uh you know Stuart Copeland of the police? Yeah. Yeah, um, so
0: randomly... He made the, the, you know, the Spyro games? Spyro the Dragon? He made the soundtrack for the originals. Damn. Yeah, I know. The The drummer for The Police composed the soundtrack for the Spyro the Dragon games on the PlayStation 1. (laughs) Wow.
1: This, like, seminal game in video game history. right yeah um, semi so drummer of so little game uh well i just need to I need to take that in um yeah <laughs> uh, well, uh sorry, I, what I were you saying Glenn? well, I almost wish I could have heard that music because, like so he had this world premiere of this kind of like um <laughs> it, it wasn't it was like it wasn't a staged opera, it was like i guess I'd say it was a concert with some like some some feathers and ruffles and what have you. Um mm-hmm. last night. It was with the Mendelssohn Choir of Pittsburgh and they were doing it, it was essentially this um orchestral and choral and operatic um depiction of these very um this very um sort of short section in Milton's Paradise Lost which is this like sweeping yep. 12 book page epic right about Satan well it's about Adam and Eve and all this other you know and the sort of their fall from grace but also it's about Satan's fall from from grace and the piece was called Satan's Fall and it's like um like 35 to 40 minutes of just noise like not like oh. the good metal kind of noise where no. there's you know there's there's at least some kind of admiral admirable sense of composition going on to me this sounded like it was honestly the worst thing i've ever seen at pittsburgh and i i don't <laughs> want to be like hyperbolic and I, I i almost i mean i find it charming that on like the eve of me leaving town there is i've managed to find something that is truly like awful and it's it's like it's heroically awful i really you gotta give props to the folks who had to to do it and like kind of like sing through it, but it's like I should, I need to, I need, I don't, I don't know where I'm gonna find an excerpt, man. But it's um, what is
0: it called? What's the title of the piece? Satan's Fall. Satan's
1: Fall. There's been oodles of media like coverage on it, in, you know, locally on the Post Gazette, Tribune Review, WESA. All this bubbling about this guy who's, you know, Stuart Copeland, you know, who's yeah, yeah. you know, of the of the police writing this very. Funny, funky, weird um piece, and I think the at best you could call it camp, and at worst, it's like th- these were a bunch of it was like written by a dude who's like thirteen and kind of like plugging things onto Sebelius or some other kind of music like you know com- musical composition technology for the first time, mm-hmm. and I don't know, and playing a couple things on garage band and it just, I don't know. It's not, even, it's not even fun or funny. It's like, okay, they, you know, uh, it's like Michael the angel and Raphael the angel. And they're all just like Satan being like snidely whiplashy. He's trying to like conquer heaven or he's got some fucking beef with God. I don't know. The libretto or the, the, the script, the book, whatever, I don't know, musical theater terminology you want to use. It's, like, unintelligible. And here's the thing, though, is that, re- like, badly reviewing, like, rev- bad reviews art can be really fun to sort of invest in. It's like, it's ah, good. we're going to just trash the fuck out of this thing, because why the fuck does it need to exist? But it almost kind of, like, justifies its existence by being so bad. And uh, I relish a lot of the opportunity to do that. And that made, I think, the ticket worthwhile. I mean, I didn't, I want my money back, but it was also like, oh, I got to like, I mean, I got to sort of like laugh out loud at, you know, and like meet, when I was meeting up with choristers after, like, dude,
0: that would like fucking suck. Ooh. It's a, what, like, is it a musical? Is it choir music? Is it, a rock song? Like, <laughs> like you know,
1: I, I guess, like, you think about, like, rock operas.
0: Yeah. Um, you know,
1: and I, I think that's the maybe the closest thing you could probably get to, to something like that. Um, okay. Okay. But, I don't know, man. You just kind of have to... There's uh, some... I, I, the, the sort of impetus for me kind of delving into this was uh, somebody was texting me um, that... It, somebody just posted a review i guess on the post Gazette and said mm-hmm. that uh it was similar to my kind of um uh take on it you know I'm just gonna open it up and see what, see what see what goes on you gotta, you know oh uh, uh Stuart Copeland also like conducted this like Carmina barana it's like uh this uh, the famous kind of um tuna where it's like dot 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 you know it's this kind of you know fire and brimstone kind of thing and he was he kicked a couple of music stands kind of because he didn't know where he was you know conducting he wasn't really conducting it more looked like a i don't know he's like conjuring some like i don't know weird spirits from the nether realm or whatever it didn't anyway it was high energy but kind of oh the performance was high energy but low yield though the instruments and vocal soloists were mic'd up the sound was so loud and muddled, it was almost impossible to understand what the singers were saying. In another venue, supertitles, like that stuff that you usually have you know, when folks are doing opera, might have helped listeners stay connected with the plot, but it was impossible to keep track. Brass instruments consistently overpowered the ensemble. Soloists sounded tinny and loud, yet indistinct. God <laughs> and the Messiah fared best, while Satan and the narrators Raphael and Raffaella lost their battles with overly thick orchestrations. Technical issues aside, the musical itself relied on soloists heavy and didn't utilize the choir in terms of balance. Often the chorus simply provided harmony and emphasized whatever the soloists were singing. Um, it's difficult to tell where the blame lies with the piece or the
0: amplification.
1: And that was, I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's funny. A, when you think
0: about. Yeah, yeah. It's so yeah. bad that I don't know whose fault it is. Right. Um, that's a shame, and, uh,
1: man. Oh. It's, it's a shame. Um, oh, it's, ooh, let's see, a, a second performance on Saturday, that's tonight, offers a chance at redemption. Um, yes. I, and, it, and, it, and it looks like, and they, I guess they find here the silver lining here, is that still full credit to the Mendelsohn Choir for its continued creativity and programming. And when you think about, uh, and let's put this in context here, um, and you know, stop me if I'm like overly trying to sort of shape this narrative or this... Um, podcast into kind of like a diatribe on arts management, kind of politics and mm-hmm. and and methodologies here in fucking Pitts, little Pittsburgh. But like, yeah. so a few years back, they did they did a like a choir concert thing on um Bob Dylan songs, right? Okay. And, it was, and they did it at Mister Small's in Millvale, and it was super super duper successful. Like people were flocking, and like, oh, I'm hearing Bob Dylan songs, but it's like in the context of like this choir, and it sounds you know, it sounds rock or, mm-hmm. you know, it sounds, you know, it sounds like, I mean, Bob Dylan, it sounds like, you know, poetry and literature and it's, you know, they, they, I guess it was this kind of perfect marriage of, I don't know, seeing something of art that was kind of like pushing the envelope a little bit and, you know, kind of like took away the artifice of like going to a con like classical music concert. Right. Yeah. Um, It's not stuff, right. Anyway. So they would guess they wanted to build the momentum on this programming by collaborating with fucking Stuart copeland and um i mean you can't i don't you think i don't think you can discount the risk-taking in that i think it's good kind of like organizational artistic practice um i guess the where the line you know where i think it gets fuzzy is like well what are you sacrificing in the pursuit of that innovation and who are you alienating um just as much as who are you you know mobilizing and corralling um and like i have to give it to to the choir for being kind of like trying to do this sort of cutting edge shit but what is the real cost of that um okay that's it that's it that's all that's all i'm going to
0: talk about No, i think that no that's interesting i have a couple thoughts there i think yeah like like you sort of said like if you get a, a pittsburgh choir to do stuart copeland's take on the paradise lost like that all sounds interesting it sounds like there's meat there to be had And it makes me want to know more what the technical issues were. Like, how much of this is redeemable for tonight's performance? Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a valuable risk to take. And like you said, what's the real cost? You know, the real cost is some amount of money. (laughs) But if some amount of money results eventually in some great work of art, like, it seems like a fine cost. It seems, yeah, it's going to hurt a lot more, I think, for Stuart Copeland, you know, than, than... even the the choir, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, even if it's a, even if it's a dud, right. You could, you could apply the kind of like, well, that was an experiment and it failed or whatever. And we're gonna, gonna, we're gonna find something new and we're gonna, you know, there's a, there's a way to bounce back from this, I think better than, than if you're the actual composer, you know, I mean, people can say like, you could, you know, you should rewrite it or you should, you know, um, do it somewhere else with more competent, kind of staging or arrangement or whatever. Um, but I, I think the fault is that like compositionally it sucks and mm. uh it's uh it's kind of like a mess. Um and you don't give a lot of folks to you know here's here's the thing. I think this is a guy who doesn't know shit about like choral or opera or like create or like maybe even building like sort of despite the works not, I mean it's not sacred works right? but they deal with biblical and like you know divine figures there's there's a complete lack of context or um I don't want to say respect because it's not about respect to you know the um those mediums but there's a um there's just a lack of acumen like a lack like a lack of research mm-hmm. you know he's just kind of like you know and I think to be and to, to almost innovate for the sake of it, uh, and art is a, is is a pursuit on you know into itself and that's that's great but then it's uh, what happens when you don't you have it's just too much it's too it's too abstract it's not actually folks don't have any frames of reference and so they don't know how to make you know have opinions about it
0: um, yeah i think i think what you're saying is right like you got to make it you got to what is the phrase you got to crack an egg to make an omelet or whatever and I'm just quickly, yeah. like, vaguely familiar with his, uh, with Stuart Copeland's experience. And, like, he is all over the place. He's done 100 movie soundtracks. He's done, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a couple video games and TV shows. Right. Uh, he did the Good Burger soundtrack, like, the movie for the Nickelodeon show Good Burger. <laughs> like, Good, like, Welcome to Good. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Whoa. He is like, it, yeah. That doesn't, what the hell, guy. man? <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's going to be some duds in here. You just, if you're working all the time on music, you're not going to make, you know, track out tracks every time. And if there's a
1: dud, hey, uh, that's what happened. Yeah, this this, this is what happened. I think, you know, I mean, you know, it was a good shot. I mean, what's the, what's the alternative? What's the other extreme? Just being overly derivative and, and, uh, trying to sort of mine, the emotional and artistic value of something so old and hackneyed. Like, I don't, I don't know. You, I mean, like, like rewrite it. I mean, I, I, let's not I mean, okay. I'm only going to say this once. Cause I have so many opinions. Like we, it's a whole nother rabbit hole, but like, you know, kind of taking the JJ Abrams apor- approach to star Wars and yeah. just, um, masturbatorily or like almost perfunctorily, uh, Playing these old beats just so you could, you know, um, for money.
0: Yeah. And so, or, you okay. know. Well, we can go down this, the J.J. Abrams uh, story. Yeah. Yeah, that first movie. So I've only, of the newest trilogy, and I always call it the new trilogy, you know, The Phantom Menace. <laughs> You know, one, right. Two, three. Uh, the newest trilogy, I've only seen the first one, right? What is that new? Not a new hope. Uh, um,
1: <laughs> so, I guess, the, the I mean, it's silly to call it the sequel trilogy, right? But it's, yeah. yeah um, I guess well, it was with you, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. seeing The yeah, Force a, Awakens because you like went to the waterfront and then yeah. we were like meeting at the Water Works. Classic. Yeah. You know, like, Classic. Man, you know, so. it's, <laughs>
0: I mean, yeah, everybody does it. And uh,
1: yeah, and I think that we saw that.
0: Yeah, but it, I mean, well, I think what you're alluding to is like the J.J. Abrams movie pretty much beat for beat maps out the original Star Wars movie. Yeah. And it's, I think that's fine because it's for a, it's for Star Trek, a new generation. It's for a new generation. Like the Star Wars movies were made like 40 years ago, right? The original Star yeah. Wars uh, yeah. And so if you can, reuse this those same beats and sort of establish, like, Ray is the Luke Skywalker, the Han Solo is, is, is the guy.
1: Poe, uh, Dameron, or whatever.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It can be, O8 is R2-D2. Like, it's all the same characters, and you get some reprisals of the old characters by their, um, you know, by Harrison Ford and uh, Leia Organa. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But it very much feels like the same story again, which I think is okay only in that context because you get to reintroduce these characters, which are great and classic characters, uh, to a new, under a modern lens, you know, with, with mm-hmm. special effects that are like cutting edge the same way that they were cutting edge at the time. Um, yeah, that, that's my piece on J.J. Abrams, uh, Star Wars.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it, it worked. Uh, and I, I think it was almost it was so novel, right? To just like to do that to do a sequel that you had to have you had to have a frame of reference. You had to um, you had to be reverent to the material, mm-hmm. right? So that a new could like stick to it. But then you and and to honor, I guess. I mean, I, I guess the 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 question is how important is that? To sort of pay homage to to that fan base, right you know, and yeah. where do you where do you draw the line between like that that sense that that sensitivity that respect, so to speak, and then flagrant fan service where it doesn't actually do anything artistically but is is really just meant to i don 't know uh milk the mythos of that. Means. Right. And- yeah,
0: totally. I think that that um, I think that the Force Awakens walks that line for me personally, but I know that mm-hmm. that line is individual to everybody. Um, especially with the Star Wars fan base, it's like pretty pretty rabid. You know, like they would chew you alive if you really mess something up. Uh, yeah, for it's sure. It's- like, I'm sure there's a couple like missed shots or something something somebody said and it's like not a core conversation that's like totally wrong or, or something like that um but for me for my level of fandom it's like all right that was good that like worked you know yeah I, and that's it didn't casual. take any risks as we were talking about earlier but it just didn't yeah it didn't take any risks but i think it did a fine job um moving the material not forward right. But right. laterally
1: i mean i think it's interesting that you know you haven't consumed any of the sort of subsequent sequels, right because mm-hmm. that it it very naturally kind of um, builds this narrative of like well, here's somebody you know what Ryan Johnson does you know the last jedi here's somebody who takes that reverent material takes that that material that everybody like knows and loves and then tries to just sort of flip it on its head, and everybody like goes wild and like you know basically cancels this guy and the, and, the, and of course there's also a, a contingent of fandom where they understand and they acknowledge and they appreciate this this willing to um uh, i think play with the uh, sort of test the you know where it could go and the the latitude or i guess the um the flexibility of the universe, right? And then, I think as and then some, some would say that the latest movie that came out in what December, um, which was also directed by J.J. Abrams, mm-hmm. um, was an apology for that for the Last Jedi. It was an apology for that risk taking, that innovation, that um, but some would say a bastardization, a a um, a violation of this (laughs) fan base and of this you know and of this fandom and i think Hmm. what we're what we really need to talk about or at least what what the the kind of the specter the shadow of this conversation is like you can you can't just say it's just star wars right Mm -hmm. um star wars like star wars for for folks affects i guess if you're a fan depending depending on the where you fall on the fandom spectrum whether it's like To the not really a fan, to casual, to somebody who has, like, a a pretty good sense of where the universe or, you know, what continuity or, you know, canon uh, stuff, you know, and then the folks who, like, live, breed, eat shit, Star Wars, right? Like, everyone kind of, everybody, it's, every, Star Wars is personal, right? Yeah. Yeah um it's like and so you're gonna cultural, like, you know? it's like yeah it's like you're gonna you know. you're gonna win and you're gonna lose no matter what you do to the material um yeah. as a as a filmmaker i guess and um that sucks when you think about yeah it.
0: i'm almost glad then that it's the same director like jj J. abrams did the i would right. call it the safe route and then i haven't seen uh the next couple star wars so no spoilers but like it sounds like it took a riskier route and i think that's yeah. probably like the best way you could handle it from a franchise point of view, if you're Disney, you're like, well, you know, if it's two, two balancing points, let's put one rock on, on this scale and one rock on this scale, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, I'm kind of tired of Star Wars right now. I mean, of course, Disney Plus, The Mandalorian, Baby Yoda, there's this, yeah. you know, the, the constant
0: um Here's corporate. what I don't know about Disney Plus is Disney Plus is maybe the most viable of all these other streaming services that are trying to compete and get in on the Netflix sort of train, the model of subscription services of TV shows or media streaming. But as these things fracture, like as you get more Disney Plus, as you get like uh, what does NBC have their own version? Yeah, Peacock. Peacock, uh, you know, Discovery Channel might make their own. Like, as these things fracture out again, I'm not gonna subs- Like, I'm just not gonna pay ten dollars a month for each one of these services. I'm it's too saturated. To- it's too yeah, exactly. Like, there's too many. Like, the value of Netflix was that it was all in one place and it was ten dollars. It's not. It's no longer valuable for me to get a Disney Plus subscription to watch Disney. There is is the best case example because they have the best franchises. They just have, like, the highest quality and the most amount, you know? Um, So they're the best competitor. But something like Peacock, like, 30 Rock was on Netflix. It felt like Peacock took that away and put it away for 10 more dollars when it was, you know, a fraction of $10 and and next to everything else. And so as these streaming services, like, grow, as there's more and more of them, it feels like... We're just going to sort of revert back to piracy, which was Netflix was the solution to that. You know, there was this audience Mm -hmm. that was willing to pay for these, this media, but they, but because it's inaccessible, they, it's easier to just pirate things. But when it's all together and you can pay a simple amount, people do it, you know, and as you factor this out, you're just going to sort of revert.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, what, I mean, what if we just sort of, oh God, I can't believe it, like, reinstate, like, the, like, just the lack of availability to content, right? Like, folks have to watch TV or, like, do DVR or something. Mm-hmm. Like, I think now, now like, I don't have a TV. I can just watch everything on a phone or a laptop, yeah. you know? And I almost wonder, like, well, you know, what happens when, you know, we make, Television more of like an event. I guess Game of Thrones was like I guess the last time mm-hmm. that you know uh, worldwide, like if you missed the episode on Sunday, you couldn't talk at the water cooler right the next day. Right, that sort yeah. of bullshit, you know. And I mean, but now it's just like it's always about uh, choice and 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 all of these kind of um, uh, leveraging exploring these really niche little things which is both like great but then not exactly sustainable for um for producers or for for um folks who are making the content because then how do you make sure how how are any of those things going to be successful i guess Uh, shows get keep getting like shorter right um what do you mean Like, like um on netflix there's this 15 minute show called special which is about this uh I think it's, oh gosh, Ryan O, oh, in a nutshell, uh dude who uh, has, uh, I believe is on the autism spectrum mm-hmm. or has some sort of, you know, very high functioning um, navigation, to, you know, through his disability and also gay and it's 15 minutes it's like i mean you could call it a web series but it's on netflix so i guess it's just a series or i guess it is a web series
0: i don't know yeah um i i think the breaking from the format of the 20 to 22 minute um you know the standard uh right. tv series length is like kind of a good thing i yeah I, i'm a i'm more of a consumer of youtube than netflix or anything like that or whatever you know yeah. web series so like wet and smaller content creators i usually consume those Anyway, so I don't... Yeah, I don't see the detriment to doing something shorter or longer, um, okay. at least in in that kind of terms. Maybe if you reframe it as, like, this is how, like, the water cooler conversation has to sort of fit this mold, you know? It has to be, mm-hmm. like, 20-ish minutes. It has to be this... Like, HBO is, like, the high-quality producing... Um, Production
1: company, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm just exhausted by. It. I mean, like I've got, I've like regressed back to just watching trash television because it mm-hmm. really, it doesn't have. I mean, no, I mean, I don't know what the market or what the uh, what the appetite continues to be for trash reality television. In my case, it's just TLC. I watch, I'm on. I have TLC Go. And yeah, today is that their own
0: streaming service. You betcha, and it's Ugh, okay. <laughs> um,
1: and I and I use like yeah, I just whatever cable service that I might use my folks' cable service to uh, log into the platform, and I watch my six hundred pound life, thousand pound sisters. My feet are killing me. Say yes to
0: the dress. Um, There's something okay. So for two of those, let's say yes to the dress. I think I've watched maybe once. I haven't seen the other one. Say yes to the dress seems. Yeah much less exploitative than the 600 pound life, uh thousand pound sisters. Like those seem like to take the piss out of somebody to use an Australian phrase. Is that like what the experience is or is there some camaraderie to that? Is there some, is there something I'm not getting that's in the title that's <laughs> missing from the title? Uh,
1: I mean, I, I think there are dangerously sort of shot kind of things going on with watching yeah. that. Like, or is it supposed to solicit like empathy or sympathy for folks who are like suffering? I mean, this is actual yeah. suffering, right? Like the plight, it like is. you know, yeah. Um, I, I think the funny is, or is it a way of like because you the way that it's framed that uh, it builds a narrative of like, okay, this person is suffering because they're this large and likely, and there's usually a a kind of traumatic event. That jump starts this you know spiral or you know and using food to cope with yeah. the I don't some sort of a terrible emotional um, trauma what have you going and then and you and then you see that they you know they lose you see them start you know embark on this weight loss journey, and depending on where they go, you kind of. Waffle on how how much like on on the sort of level of respect you have for them, like oh they're able to uh, follow through with these goals, or they're able to actually like get the surgery, or no they've actually gained weight and they're able unable to to deal with their emotional problems, and so they're just falling back on food, and it kind of it plays with your, I mean you're yelling at the screen, and I guess in in, in any the way that you know folks yell at the screen when. People are saying, you know, like you see someone and the killer is like right behind them, like a horror movie yeah. or whatever. Um, yeah.
0: The killer is emotional I, trauma.
1: Yeah, or food, right? Like, just yeah. like you know. And then sometimes, and this is where I feel the most grimy about watching the show, um, is when they like die or when
0: they um, oh, they geez. don't succeed.
1: Right? Yeah. Like you're
0: like. Wow, I don't think you should be able to air that. What the fuck?
1: yeah but like people watch it people continue to watch it and that's crazy i I, I don't know yeah no yeah it's 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 i don't know man like
0: if it was like here's my version of uh, my 600 round life is like it's always a redemptive arc it's always you know maybe you can get people in on the show for being like a little bit gross and a little bit shot of freudy right but then the arc of the episode or maybe it's a couple episodes like has to be that this person gets better if the end of the episode is that this person dies that's like i don't know man
1: yeah that's i don't know that
0: well, so do say... really in like a snuff film you know like it's i don't know if there one is One way you know
1: <laughs> i mean and and and, my, and like mind you those those episodes are so few and far between but like you almost have to like wonder there has, I mean, there's an audience for sure that is like kind of watching this for the same sick pleasure of seeing, you know? And I think like the most, I don't know, uh, innocent like form of, or I guess the iteration of that is like when people watch the show, I've talked to people who watch the show, right? And they're like, Mm -hmm. I'm watching it because it's like, well, I have weight issues, but it can't be as bad as yeah. it is, right? And it right. changes my perspective. And I'm like, that's like, we have to see the most extreme. I mean, like, isn't, I mean, that's, that's really, I mean, that's like, I'm exploiting this exploitative, you know, to make me feel better.
0: Right. It's. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I sort of, so what comes to mind is like the parallels between Queer Eye, which I've seen a couple of times. And obviously right. there's a big difference here. But there is some fun in looking at like a sloppy straight guy. Like at the beginning yeah. of the episode, he's just like a crummy dude, and then he gets transformed. And you can also like, <laughs> I'm a sloppy straight guy. What strategies are they using? Like you can <laughs> learn and you can educate yourself and you yeah. can like follow through on that. And there might be valuable strategies to, uh, you know, healthy weight loss uh, within
1: within these kinds of shows sure sure or you know but i don't know just i just learned it, how to a
0: wear a patterned shirt every now and then like i don't right I don't know. yeah <laughs> i don't know maybe it doesn't sell you know <laughs> doesn't sell your tlc go jeez
1: i mean let, let's think about like the 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 greater theme of this is though I mean like all of it has to be it's all about monetization it's all about selling something right and so mm-hmm. what is what is TLC or specifically like my you know like what is my six hundred pound life or broad more broadly TLC trying to sell is it mm-hmm. like is it is it these weight loss surgeries unto themselves is it the um these sort of quick fix kind of you know medical procedures is it
0: Is it a lifestyle? I would have said in the old model, what they were trying to sell is advertising space. And the advertising space would be to identify the kinds of people who are watching these shows. I don't know. Like, yeah, I I didn't watch it on the old, uh, you know, on TV, but I'd imagine that the kinds of things that are on in the commercials have got to be like Weight Watchers and things like, uh, a blender that blends your carrots really well. Right. You know
1: what I mean? <laughs> well, I mean, well, on those platforms, there's still ads,
0: right? So, oh, I mean, do I... Do you pay for that? Yeah. You
1: pay no, and then
0: you pay... No, I don't, okay. no,
1: I, I don't, like, yeah, like, the
0: app is free. I mean, oh, like, okay, the okay. The app is free right? and you so, commercials,
1: fine. Yeah, and so, and I get ads for Fabletics.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Like, uh, I like athleisure wear. I get ads for GoodRx. So, like, lower prescription oh, yeah. cost. I get mm-hmm. a lot of ads for weddings, and like oh. like specifically zola dot com and like this one-stop shop for wedding planning, registry, invitations, <laughs> you name it,
0: yeah,
1: and uh, you know, because I guess you know, say yes to the dress market like that makes makes sense, and so yeah. I guess maybe they're just trying to sort of, I don't know just crop, chop you know check up all the boxes, and you know, like if somebody's watching Dr. Pimple Popper and say yes to the dress. Like they might as well, you know, they're, they're probably watching my 600 pound life too, or 90 day fiance. And when you think about it, that is kind of, yeah. yeah that's the network. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, yeah I, I mean, they're not marketing to me specifically. I mean, I'm, I don't, I'm, well, I don't need app, you know, fabletics. I don't need like lacy optimized leggings so I can do my squats and
0: you know those, but I guess, yeah.
1: Folks. Yeah.
0: Um, Then I always wonder like how well tuned are these, you know, advertising uh, analytics, you know, like Uh it's not just like they're selling as if they're selling to the people in the show, which is, you know, maybe one kind of demographic, but obviously the people watching the show, you know, you're a perfect example of somebody who's not interested in the products, but like wants to see the trash so what i guess the next logical question is like what what does a person who likes to watch as and i'm using trash in the most loving way uh does the person who likes to watch trash want to buy you know that's common among among all kinds of people i don't know i don't know uh that's i mean Could just be lower prescriptions costs i don't know i guess
1: right like what's the lowest common denominator among you know among that that, that market and I'm you know I somebody I mean I'm sure folks yeah there's there's definitely a trash TV focus group right yeah circuit sure. you know, in, oh in in sunny LA right that yeah yeah I, don't, I guess it, yeah, yeah gross uh, but I guess it's good RX and uh, hmm. athletic leisure wear um, I mean lot of prescriptions other prescription stuff right it's uh skin st- I, yeah it's a it's prescription stuff for like skin stuff depression oh maybe that's like the common link is that folks yeah actually depression yeah yeah um is like folks who i don't know are sad and they just watch tv yeah yeah i mean staying up too late yeah yeah i mean i when i think about it like i'm just Constantly watching, you know, uh, and constantly stimulated. And then I'm like, look at my watch and they're like, oh, it's two. And I guess I should go to bed. And I'm like, I guess that's like very just high functioning depression. You know, that could be it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Could be. Could be. Could be. <laughs> you know?
1: Hmm. So what's going on in Australia? How do you, I mean, like. I mean what happened to you this week what are you, what are you doing what happened to you this weekend and uh you know how, how again, how are you like i mean you're relatively you're like new there but you're not new there and so mm-hmm. like this this you know adjustment to like living on the other side of the world is that is it more natural to you now and yeah I, I There's mean, a weird and I,
0: I, uh, there's a weird like conversation I always have with people who I meet who are like oh where like if they pick up on your accent they're like where are you from and then and then you say the united states and they say where and then you say pennsylvania uh and because i've been here before i've been here for a year before five years ago so i would always have the addendum. but i've been here for one year beforehand and then there's the addendum but sydney is a different place than rural australia i I lived in like queensland which is like uh a more tropical. I'm trying to make it like parallels to American states, but they just don't exist. Um, yeah, I lived in That's like cool. a more place. Sydney is a world city. It's like San Francisco, New York, London, Sydney. You know. Okay. Uh, do, you, do you are there any other like I always have a question mark at the end of that? Is there other cities that you think fit that bill before Sydney? I mean, and those are all know. English-speaking countries as well, and so I would add Hong Kong. Uh, maybe Singapore. Yeah, I mean, Go yeah, ahead. you're talking about these sort
1: of like metropolitan areas that accommodate a pretty Western friends. Yes. Like they're 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 kind of like commercial and they're economic and like cultural centers, right? And you know, a yeah. lot of that has to do with this kind of like mix of like they're global, and so they mix. It's not just like east and west so much as like it's like everything, right?
0: Exactly. And, yeah, but yeah. There's like you know in New York, you have Little Italy and you have uh, Chinatown, and you have Koreatown and you have, you know, Little Japan or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, same sort of thing here. Um, but obviously still a Western-dominated, uh, colonialized <laughs> uh, area. Oh, though I will say there is this interesting phenomenon where
1: wherever you go, if
0: it's a public land, if it's uh, like a park or a library or or an art museum, there's always a, a placard or a sign that says this land belongs to the Gadigal people is like one of the, the yeah. groups. And it like honors them as like the original owners of the land, which is, I don't think I've seen that in the US. And it seems very important, even though it's a small concession, you know, it seems really important. Because yeah. I now know the Gadigal people of the Yura Nation because I go to the library on which their land was built.
1: Oh. it's—I mean, it's a it's sort of land affirmation. It's a—you know, um, oh gosh, it's probably affirmation. but like I, I know that it's that there's a specific to the acknowledgement of mm-hmm. like this is native land, and we are, you know, uh, through colonialism, systematic racism, et cetera, et cetera like mm-hmm. we want to um correctively honor yeah what whatever people like uh, you know formerly originally occupied that space exactly. and um i think it's more it's I, I mean there are folks who who do that but it's it's not it's not cultural it's not uh, it's not universal it's not um
0: yeah
1: it's not embedded right and i think australia has such a so if, if I'm not I, I don't know really shit about Australia so much as it's like there is a uh a florid and um concerted effort right to you know uh, to respect and to honor the indigenous peoples of Australia right um, it
0: definitely seems more concentrated than say the US uh, which I think has a similar but importantly different uh, colonial history uh, right. but there's almost this like dark side of it which is kind of like well we put the placard up so you know there's yeah, like a way to reinterpret that again is like definitely not enough you know
1: yeah it's almost performative right it's like oh we gotta yeah. put the, you know yeah
0: it's, there's it's, still yeah. you know a, an aboriginal guy down the street that's like drunk laying in the street because you know his whole <laughs> the whole culture of nations was destroyed you know it doesn't yeah the placard is like the smallest thing, uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, again, I'm I'm American and I've been here for, you know, a total, I've been in Sydney for like a total of three months. Right. I have no real perception, especially of the Aboriginal people uh, or, or what it's like to be Australian at all. So coming at it from an outsider perspective, but that is, yeah, that's my perspective. <laughs> I mean,
1: does that, uh, what, how is that, um, and this is, this is like vaguely therapist Ryan here, right? Like how does that make you, I mean, it's an interesting observation, but like, how does that make you feel about living in a, you know, in a space that does make, you know, make those acknowledgements, you know, often and hopefully with the best intent?
0: Yeah, it it makes me feel better. You know, it makes me immediately reflect on my experience in the US and and it goes like, oh, well, this is at least better, you know, at the very least. I would say that the feelings are mostly positive and not negative even though it's pretty quick, like you can easily, quickly compare. It does bring to mind, you know, the occupation of this land that's mm-hmm. not, I don't know, well, I can't even say ours because I'm not Australian, you know? hmm hmm mm-hmm. uh, And maybe it's even that removal from being Australian that allows me to be comfortable, more comfortable with it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that, that's, that's totally that's valid. True. And uh, as a transplant, you have this really... Neat opportunity and perspective to uh, see what's what's good and what's what's not so good and uh, what you could bring back if you if you come back. You don't have to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, does that does that question ever sort of pop up? Is that too is that too early to ask?
0: Uh it's definitely too early. I'm not considering coming back forever. Right. I just got here. I got like a year at least, you know, I'm definitely more looking at how do I stay here longer at this, at this point, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'll come back to visit and things, but yeah, I mean, on paper, Australia just seems like an economically better choice, you know, like, like at the most selfish (laughs) reasons, it's like, well, there's a healthcare system and education is the same and it's much cheaper. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, uh,
1: yeah, it basically has all the same
0: amenities. There's no, for me, there's no real culture shock. Uh, it has great national parks. Like, well, <laughs> there's definitely still problems, but it, it just seems like all yeah. the problems are amplified in the US and lessened here and largely as a result of more liberal policies. And when I say liberal, I mean left-leaning because the liberal party is the conservative party in Australia. I see. And then, I mean, yeah,
1: no, it's, I mean, I, I Gosh, I'd love to live somewhere where I could, um, that because government and, um, and, I guess, society, culture, what have you, kind of um, made things more convenient and um, positive, I don't know. I don't know if that's the right word for me, the, I, that I could, uh, yeah, I, I could move there and I could be the best who I could be and, uh, you know, I, I would be a, a contributing member right? I would give back and things like, right? And I wouldn't, you know, by, by not, I'd be happier, right? I mean, I wonder to what extent is Australia or more, you know, specifically like Sydney, like listed on that kind of like happiness index of like, oh, you know, you know, because it seems to me that uh, throughout the world, if you survey folks who are the most happy, it's in the most kind of like, it's in the countries where um, government has socialized um, a lot of the the benefits, what mm-hmm. have you? Um, I think Norway or Denmark. Yeah. Um, Norway, seems Denmark, and Japan,
0: be... Japan, like right?
1: All, uh, and you know, and of course, every place can be unhappy in their own way, right?
0: Um, and, and Norway troublesome. has the black metal scene, and <laughs> Japan with like the highest suicide rates or whatever. So the scales are always like, you know. yeah. yeah you it. could, you could.
1: Yeah, you could always argue. Like I think about like there's such a i think there's such a low birth rate, I think in Japan right that's actually it's becoming mm-hmm. like a crisis right economically yeah. culturally et cetera so um I think that's that's great and i i always I always wonder i mean right now I'm in the funny place of relocating from the Paris of Appalachia to the <laughs> right to you know what pla- yeah, yeah, I know, I know to, you know, what folks say is, is, is the greatest city in the world, and um, yeah. I know that, like, I'll, I, I mean, I'm gonna kind of eke whatever I can get out of that, but then I, you know, what's, who's to say that uh, thinking more globally and thinking about, like, what else is out there, and I I think a, a very valid and to consider is, like, well, what would it be like to have socialized medicine? What would it be like to um to live somewhere where there isn't uh where it is more left-leaning and you're not constantly feeling you're not like gasping literally and
0: figuratively for (laughs) air yeah one of the so I have conversations with like you know people from all over the world and one of the big ones that I didn't realize uh about America that people view as negative um, was the vacation days it's like if you're in france i think you get something like at least six weeks off like that seems common and normal in europe to have six weeks of vacation time right and i think i think what is it like two to four weeks or something here uh here yeah. in the, the us mean, yeah
1: i get at work i get i think i think i baseline 15 days i mm-hmm. can purchase five additional days so that purchase- comes out of my pay- I, per, like, flex, yeah, like, additional days of, like, flex, flex vacation days, then and it comes out of my, it's not, it's not vacation, right, yeah. um, and then I get three personal days, right, and this isn't counting, I think, I don't know whether I think bereavement or, like, other pretty qualified life events kind of, like, fit within that, whatever, mm-hmm. but, like, you know, and that's, subpo- I mean, that's, again, like, corporate, like, you know, those are supposed to be seen as, like, nice kind of cush benefits, but I'm like, oh, fuck, like, I'm just working, I'm like yeah. I'm just like I'm churning the machine, macogging the wheel.
0: I'm like, oh yeah. you know. Dude, yeah, I, I that seems totally it seems like, you know, it, industrial revolution levels of work. You know yeah, what I mean? It's
1: exhausting. It's exhaust you know, yeah. and, and also I can, you know, like fill the pocket of, you know, one CEO who exactly. is a cajillionaire. Oh my yeah. god, man. Like that
0: And <laughs> cajillionaires I mean, just the world over, you know it's everywhere, yeah, I mean, I mean, but damn it, america it feels like you really damn it up like
1: for... it's i mean like you know with cap, cap you know capital c capitalism right and um i don't know i mean it, it it has now of course you know like america has all this kind of it's not like the center of the universe right but it has like these you know um big implications for whatever happens here right has you know uh, big implications throughout the world I don't know where i'm not i'm not as closely paying attention to the democratic primaries and 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 the upcoming election as much as i should i mean it's always sort of looming over us and yeah. um you know and i uh I'm, i freak out you know like i'm wondering when i'm gonna have like my first kind of like panic attack about like you know almost like I mean, have we even even gotten over like 2016 yet? Like that's that's like <laughs> my life, you know.
0: Yeah. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean it's uh it's like it's not even so many of the democratic uh candidates aren't even they wouldn't even be left here, you know what I mean? It's right. like Sanders is moderate in Europe, you know what I mean? <laughs> and he's considered a radical socialist in the US and it, it's just I know it's just like a media war right it's just like the, the it's just Fox News is telling people here's how to think and here's you know here's some confusion about what's going on and and then once you frame the people's thought, you know it's just a big yeah. propaganda scheme you know yeah I, yeah. I mean it seems weird so to me
1: <laughs> yeah uh, and it seems to me that we're still making the same mistake I mean media is still making the same mistakes as um you know 2016 well you know i mean of course there's a larger problem of like folks are just going to consume what they want to hear but then yes. like what what fuels those clicks and that and and that that mentality is that news isn't news right it's just curated it's always it's it's always um it's always there's always a sort of opinion um under current to that, uh, you find that in the Times and MB- you know MSNBC as well as you know as Fox News and all this other stuff. And so, like, right. at what point do you like? You know, how, how do you make decisions for yourself?
0: Um, totally, and that's like that's like what my mom would say is like uh, she'll be watching Fox News and I'll be like, you gotta turn that off. It's just like <laughs> you're warping your own thoughts. And right. she's her counter that is like, well, they're all doing this, you know. And I would say, yes, I always say like, yeah, but to a lesser degree uh, for for Fox News in particular, but. I think the the whole problem roots from having a system where news is trying to sell advertising right Mm -hmm, and you mm -hmm. you have the bbc is like the alternative i always offer uh as as being yes is government controlled so that's a little bit scary but it is so boring and neutral that you still get to understand the issues but you don't get the dose of and the other side is you know communist and that is evil. and you know, uh, uh, or or the other side is you know all big oil, and you know you can make you can make the argument in, in any way. So I don't know media. Hmm. I don't know. I, I don't, it's, it, I'm exhausted just thinking about it. Exactly, um, it's just yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Instead of going to the. Uh, or instead of like watching the democratic you know primary debate last night, I went to the Stuart Copeland thing, and I honestly i mm-hmm. would rather go to the Stuart Copeland thing because you know here 's the thing is that during intermission an and then during all those moments where like you 're on social media and folks are reacting to the reactions of you know the the democratic yeah. like it's, it's it's you know you're you're enfolded in it anyway, so mm-hmm. i'm you know i 'm going feel helpless no matter you know what I do so um <clears throat> or empowered or angry or, you know, whatever, uh, strong all or nothing emotional reaction.
0: Yeah. I always think back to, you know, Eddie Izzard, right? Like we, yeah, we did a show yeah. in, in, with them in WPTS and did an interview, but I always think about his this quote, like what, what's going to make America fail? Well, he looks at the Roman model and it was, uh, it's going to be America, <laughs> you know, it's just going to eat itself alive. And it's like, yeah, that seems like what's going on, you know? It's yeah, yeah. the clearest way. <sighs> okay. I think we've got to wrap this up. Uh I think, yeah. <laughs> I think my flat is flooding yeah. actually, and I have to get a bucket and uh, and do a couple of things.
1: Yeah. Well shit, you gotta fix that. Um Yeah. Yeah. Um well we did it.
0: Yeah, we, we did it. We did it.
1: We did it. Episode Hooray. Zero.